This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dafran Johan. In light of the upcoming state elections, we're taking another look at Blanja 1 2023 or Budget 2023. And on today's show, we hone in on higher education specifically and discuss if our government is spending enough on higher education and whether we are getting the outcomes that we want from that spending. So joining me on the show today is Kularatnam Vijay Kumar. He's the Program Manager at Yayasan Tunku Abdul Rahman. Welcome to the show, Kula. Thanks for having me on. The government has allocated 15.3 billion ringgit for higher education. Um, let's have some overall thoughts. Are we heading in the right direction? So to get us started, I think I have to share that while I work in higher education, I'm not an economist. So I'm going to be sharing my opinion as someone who works in higher education. So this year's budget is very much a post-COVID education recovery budget. You know, we've been talking about how students have been struggling with transitioning into post-SPM education, largely because of the disruption caused by the pandemic. So as a result, we can also see that this budget, I would say, is focused on two key items. The first one is in terms of empowering TVET, as they would call it, which is really focusing on developing TVET and making sure that more students go to TVET. And just to clarify, TVET is vocational and technical education. Um, so, for example, to develop students to become welders, to become mechanics, um, to work in anything that isn't really studied in a university life, I could summarize it. So I think there are some exciting developments here. So specifically, one thing I want to highlight is that the government has allocated 180 million ringgit to the mm -hmm. Skills Development Fund Corporation or PTPK. So the Skills Development Fund Corporation, uh, this 180 million, it's going to be used to fund students to go to TVET. And that's great because when students go to TVET, typically it is students who are from more low-income backgrounds as well. So ensuring that they have access to funding is very important. So I do appreciate this focus on TVET, particularly in terms of making it affordable. Because even though higher education in general is heavily subsidized by the government, um, there is still some percentage that needs to be paid by people. And providing opportunities like this, both in TVET and in university education is very important. And that brings us to the second key item, mm -hmm. which is in terms of educational loans and opportunities. So the government has allocated 6.6 .6 billion ringgit on loans and opportunities, primarily through Mara, Yayasan, Panaraju. And this would be really helpful to support students to pursue their studies, largely locally, but also overseas. Because there are many students, particularly from areas, rural areas, or even I would say areas outside of Kuala Lumpur, who rely on Mara loans. So these are students who may not have access to PTPTN or who may want to pursue their education elsewhere. And I think having additional loans available in a time where a lot of the population has suffered from financial instability is really, really key. So these are, I would say, the two main areas that the higher education budget is focused on this year. Kula, when we talk about primary and secondary education, I just had um, a similar discussion with Chan Sun Singh from Teach for Malaysia, and we were talking about um, primary and secondary education in terms of the budget. Um, and even when we have um, conversations in the past, I've had conversations with you as well, some of the issues that are regularly highlighted are improving access to quality education in rural and underserved areas, as well as a lack of investment in teachers. You're talking about salaries, trainings, etc., but what are the issues that we should be focused on? What should we be thinking about when it comes to higher education specifically? I would say with higher education, 
a key issue would be the accessibility of higher education. And what I mean is the government has really done a lot to support higher education being accessible. So for example, for the average student entering university, a public university, 90% of their fees are already subsidized by the government. This means that the average student is paying maybe between 800 to 1,500 ringgit a semester for three to four months. Um, and I would say this is great. But for the highest need students, that 800 to 1,500 ringgit is still a barrier. So there's been amazing efforts, but I would say it's just about fixing that missing step, that missing step in the ladder. So I can give you an example about this. So I used to be a teacher as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of my students, a very high need student, came from a very low income family, uh, was offered a place in a college community, which was three, four hours away from his house. So the college community was fully sponsored, but the travel there was not. And that was a cost that was inaccessible to him. So I can acknowledge the government has done really, really great work. The budget as well, the way that higher education is set up, it's done great work, but it's just a bit of a missing step. So it's definitely very progressive in some ways, but there's just like a missing 10% that would really help. In terms of issues of access, in terms of issues of quality, especially in rural areas uh, and underserved areas, I would say this is something that's just a little bit harder to measure because post-secondary education is not compulsory. Right. People can choose to opt out. Um, but I would say there are some interesting efforts here that are not very well known. Um, for example, um, in terms of Orang Asli education, I know that working together with Jakoa, I believe there has been some allocation. Um, it may not be directly stated in the budget, but there's been some allocation to support um, Orang Asli students to transition into higher education. In fact, I was speaking to an Orang Asli student recently um, who shared with me that he was a recipient of financial aid from the government. But I think, and this is a trend we will return to later, many of these things are not well communicated to the public. Right. I, mean, I think, you know, it's not important that work be done. It's also important that work is seen to be done. Right. Yeah. So now I want to switch gears and talk about another important issue, which is PTPT and loans. Because I think when we talk about higher education, this is one of the key things that um, has been talked about for many years. So the government announced that PTPTN borrowers earning less than 1,800 ringgit will be given a six-month loan moratorium, 20% um, discount on PTPTN loan repayments for three months. And this, I guess, is already sort of um, passed because it was three months from March 1st of this year. What are your thoughts on these type of initiatives, um, especially that, that, you know, that six-month loan moratorium for those earning less than 1,800 ringgit? I'm personally very supportive. Mm -hmm. uh, so to my understanding, one of the challenges with something like um, higher education loans is getting people who receive those loans to then repay those loans. Right. So I think PTPTN has done some great work here, for example, in allowing people to defer until they get a job, um, things like moratoriums. So I think PTPTN has been working very well with the government here. Um, I can say that, again, I guess this is a more of a question of public messaging, right? that something important for the general public to know is that higher education loans are a bit different compared to say a car loan or a house loan, right? Right. Um, if a car loan or a house loan isn't paid, the bank can take your car away or take your house away. Um, you know, PTPTN can't come and take your degree certificate away, <laughs> right? So because of that, I think initiatives to increase the percentage of repayment are very important and they will result in benefits for the next generation of PTPTN borrowers as well. Of course, uh, this is an external perspective. I know someone from PTPTN would probably be able to share in more detail. Right. 
do you think Malaysia should abolish student loans altogether? I think this is a very divisive issue, right? It's, mm-hmm. for example, like talking about healthcare being yeah. free for everyone as well. So, of course, I think as an individual, I'm of the belief that it would be great if, you know, education was free. I believe that, you know, in line with Malaysian goals, and I would say international goals in terms of lifelong learning, I believe that anybody should be able to walk into a public university and say, hey, I would like to take a course. Um, and that course should ideally be free. But I think, you know, we're speaking in ideals here, right? right? So I think speaking realistically, um, to me, I feel like at least the first degree offered should be free. Hmm. And right now, we're, we're pretty close to that, right? right? The government subsidizes for everybody who enters a public university 90% of their fees. We're nine-tenths of the way to free education for all. Um, and to me, I think looking at it from an administrative point of view, we have to note that when people have to take loans for that remaining 10% that is not covered, there's a huge increase in administrative costs as well, right? You need people to process those loans. You need people to follow up on people to make sure they're paying those loans. So I would say it's one of those things that I believe we should be studying further because I believe for me personally, a potential solution might be to relook at how we subsidize public education because currently it's a flat 90% subsidy for everybody. We do not look at your household income. We do not look at how much you're earning. A family earning 100K and a family earning 1K per month gets the same subsidy. I think we need more progressive um, subsidies. So in this case, maybe families from high, from lower income backgrounds, sorry, families from lower income backgrounds could get 100% subsidy even. Whereas families who are more able to pay for it, could get 80%, 60% or something similar. Definitely something we need to study more. On the show with me today is Kolaranam Vijay Kumar. He's the Program Manager at Yayasan Tunku Abdul Rahman. We continue this discussion after the break. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Kularatnam Vijay Kumar. He's the Program Manager at Yayasan Tunku Abdul Rahman. And we're talking about Blanja 1 2023 with regard to higher education. So Kula, universities in Malaysia have often been criticised for offering causes and, and programmes that do not adequately meet the demands of the job market or align with industry needs. What are your views on this, that Malaysian... The way our universities are structured, it doesn't sort of prep people for the job market. It's my belief that the purpose of higher education is not to prepare you for the job market, it's right. to prepare you for life. Mm-hmm. There is a lot that you learn in, the, in university, in higher education, that goes beyond just your job, right? It is not the purpose, I would say, of a university to, for example, teach you how to do your taxes, or to teach you how to succeed in a particular role. Uh, I think many of us who have already graduated have seen that so much of the work that we do is really on the job learning. And thus, if I had to distill it, I would say the purpose of university is to equip you with the skills for learning, continuous learning and reflection that will allow you to live an independent life to make your own opinions. But, you know, many parents can are very worried about this, right? Because they will say, you know... Um, What's the point? You know, if I if I come out, I graduate from university and then I don't I'm not getting the right jobs, or I, you know, I'm studying so and so in the university, then I have to become an e-hailing driver. And I think um, you know, the, the concern is valid, right? I, I sympathize with with a lot of the concerns because the unfortunate reality is we live in a society that is all about 
the job market, right? Like it's a it's not an ideal it's not my ideal society. How would you then sort of um, tell these parents, the parents who are worried that you know, or the students who are saying like, yeah, but at the end of the day, after four years of university, I have to work. So how are we gonna do? What what are we gonna do about that? So I would say there's no silver bullet mm-hmm. for a parent here. Right? I think it's a very valid concern, right? I think if we look at previous generations in Malaysia, and even now, education is perhaps the surest way for social mobility. It's the surest pathway to social mobility for many people. We can see that people with degrees uh, are able to secure um, financial incomes that allow them and their families to rise up in terms of social mobility. But at the same time, I think when we talk about how universities should be preparing people for the job market that, you know, I've paid so much. We're talking about the marketization of higher education on one end. And two, I think the real villain here is low wages, truth be told. Someone should not have to go to university to secure a living wage. And to me, that's right. the crux of the problem. But of course, that's beyond an individual's locus of control, yes. right? So as an individual, as a parent, it makes sense that you want to secure that competitive advantage, um, get your kid to university, and you want university to support your child to get a job. But that's just um, how people are responding to economic incentives. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about the mismatch. I'm wondering if the boom in private universities in Malaysia um, is one of the reasons for this. this. This idea that, you know, anybody can get a degree in anything as long as you have three credits in SPM or whatever, right? And I love the fact that there's choice. I think people should study whatever they want to study because sometimes you try to get into public university, but you cannot get to do the course that you want. They'll give you your fifth choice, your seventh choice, so on and so forth. The competition is, is really tough, right? There's so many people um, tra- mm-hmm. trying to get into public uni. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering if this this boom of private universities where every anybody can just go and study whatever they want is one of the reasons why we are having a bit of this this sort of mismatch, so to speak. Yeah, I would say it's complicated Mm -hmm. because, yes, it's true when education becomes privatized, right? When education becomes a product and a student at a university or a higher education institution becomes a customer, it's very easy to view it from that lens, right? I'm a customer of education paying for a service and the service that I am paying for is an education that gets me a job. Uh, And... if we look at it, that's what we're measuring too, right? Like if you look at tracer studies, we're measuring employability as well. So I think it's a system set up that the incentives look at employability, right? right. No one is going out and asking you, oh, you know, are you intellectually flourishing right. after university? Mm-hmm. Are you happy after university? It is not something we're measuring. Uh, and so I think it's completely valid for students, for parents, for governments even, to be looking at jobs uh, and I don't think this is a private university issue because I feel like, yes, of course, anyone can go for anything that they want. But I think this is a net good because imagine, you know, if you have a passion in something right. and if you haven't been able to secure that through the public university system, which understandably has to service hundreds of thousands of people, you should have the opportunity to go outside that public education system to pursue the course of choice. Um, but ultimately, the link between universities and the job market and this perspective that you know, universities are a factory to produce um, future employees, it's a much bigger problem. And it, it's unfair, I would say, to point to private universities to it because it's, it's a combination between 
corporations and governments, I would say, personally speaking. Do you think, um, and this perhaps leads into the next question that I want to ask you about TVET, but before that, do you think that Malaysia is a society that prioritizes university degrees uh, more than it should? I personally believe so. Um, I think it's a consequence of perhaps our history. Um, I feel like compared to some other countries, I do feel that in Malaysia, university degrees are, I would say, taken as a stamp of quality. Right. Right. And I think it's unfortunate because I've met many amazing young people who have all the skills they need, but they don't have a degree. And it's very strange to hear from them that, you know, they speak to employees and employers say, you're great, but we can't offer you a job because you don't have a degree. But I would say the onus on this to me is on employers because this is not something that the government has set as a policy. Right. right? That, oh, every person who is employed needs a degree. Right. Um, employers are allowed to make the choice. Uh, and this is the choice that they've made. And I think what we need to do is we need to say that, hey, you know, there are many people who don't have degrees who could do this job just as well. And I think what we see, if we look at 40, 50 years ago, you know, people who we now call boomers, um, <laughs> they had much greater access to social mobility precisely because they were able to secure jobs without a degree. They were able to climb up the employment ladder, the corporate ladder, despite not having a degree, which is something that I feel is no longer possible today. Absolutely. Now, I think that leads us into this TVET question, right? Because one of the areas of education that in Malaysia that, that for the longest time have been talked about that it needs major restructuring is TVET. Because in countries like Singapore and Germany, for example, TVET is taken very seriously. Um, it is almost taken as seriously like getting a university degree. Um, and people who graduate with TVET qualifications get dignified salaries, right? They are not seen as like lesser than or whatever. I'm wondering if Blanja One 2023 addresses the issue of TVET, the restructuring of TVET, and, and how we're going to approach this moving forward. Truthfully, I don't think the issues that people have with TVET or the issues that people face with TVET is not something that the budget can solve. Hmm. Right? If we talk about TVET being taken seriously, I think you know, you've hit the nail on the head here. There is a lot about salary. You know, how do people compare jobs, right? They compare it by salary. So right. it's like, hey, you should go into this sector because the salary is higher. You know, we don't compare it based on happiness. Like, hey, you would be happier doing this. <laughs> I think the standard measure across industries is salary. So to me, the way to fix that is a higher minimum wage, which is not something that's in the scope of the budget. Uh, but to be honest, I think in terms of the structure of Tibet, it's really hard to say much because so much of the information out there is anecdotal. I think this ties into something I mentioned earlier, right? At the heart of it, I would say it's an issue of marketing. Right. If you ask the average person on the street, the average student, hey, you know, what are your TVET options? They might be unfamiliar. And I think at the heart of it, that's the problem. But I can tell you something that I can point out based on the budget, and this might relate to that issue of marketing, um, is that TVET currently is split between seven ministries. And I think that means there are seven ministries that need to do that marketing and communication. Um, but all in all, I would say, it is something that even me, I wouldn't say I have enough information about, despite being in the sector. The, the message is reaching the people it should be reaching. So like when I was teaching in school, right. like I did see Tibet being shared to my students who were most likely to go into Tibet. 
because they struggled a bit academically and they were the target market for Tibet forces. But at the same time, I recognize, you know, whenever you work at this scale, right, a national scale, it is difficult. Mm -hmm. So even I know earlier, you know, you mentioned about um, other countries as well, right? I think working with a population of like 30 million plus people spread across, you know, a vast geographic area. We talk about urban divide, rural divide. It's immensely complicated. Much more complicated than running a city-state, that's for sure. So I think, yeah, that's that's a very uh, interesting point you bring there. So I want to talk about competitiveness. Um, again, um, it, it goes back to this thing, whether education should be seen as something competitive in the first place. But again, we, we go back to something we've already discussed, which is that's what a lot of parents seem to want um, or a lot of people are basing their decisions on competitiveness, global markets, you know, the buzzwords. How competitive do you say, or would you say Malaysian education, higher education specifically, is right now when compared to um, a lot of other countries? Do we need to improve our competitiveness or do we need to switch the way we think about this altogether? I'm going to provide, I would say, a more practical perspective here. Okay. I mean, of course, you know, it's all well and good to say, no, we shouldn't think about competitiveness right. at all. But I think facts of the matter is, Malaysia is in a very interesting place. Um, so Malaysia is a regional education hub. Uh, what that means is, you know, people from neighboring countries, from even like other continents, they do come over. I mean, right. we do see a lot of international students yes. in Malaysia. Um, we're not, for example, like Harvard or Cambridge, but we do get a lot of students coming over. And I think... One thing that you can see here is that in Malaysia, we have a very diverse higher education ecosystem, meaning that you could go through a variety of pathways, right? You know, we have Malaysian students going all over the world from Malaysia. Um, for example, you know, we have local public universities with local private universities. We even have overseas universities that are based here. Um, like, for example, we have several British universities which right. have Malaysian campuses. Absolutely. So I think we have a really interesting and I would say quite competitive um, education ecosystem, higher education ecosystem happening here. But of course, you know, if you compare it to world leaders, it's not going to measure up. But I would say we're definitely punching above our weight. That's brilliant. Do you think um, when you when you um, sort of um, comb through Blanja 1 2023, does it address the issue of competitiveness in any way? Or is it a matter like, you know, like one of the questions earlier, you, you talked about how, you know, it's, the budget perhaps can't address this issue. Yeah, I would agree. It's not something that you can really discern or combat via budget. Of course, you know, more money for everything is good. But, you know, of course, the government also has to do a cost-benefit analysis and decide at a certain point, you know, we have to put this money somewhere else, like healthcare, for example. But I would say when it comes to our higher education competitiveness, something that I think has been really helpful is that we have a separate higher education ministry. And that's really important because when we talk about the competitiveness of higher education, right, it's really a matter of higher education strategy. And that is not something that the budget directly influences. So of course, you know, more money is always good for everybody. Absolutely. And before we wrap this conversation up, Kula, would you have a final message for us with regard to Blanja 1 2023 and higher education? I would say at this point, we're not yet at... Um, post-COVID state, right? Mm. We're still recovering from COVID yep. and this budget is a reflection of that. And I think we can't take the higher education spending of this year as an indicator of our overall higher education strategy. I would say in this year, 
this budget is very much focused on supporting students who are affected by COVID, making sure that they transition into higher education. Of course, uh, one of the things that would really help here is to have more data out there, right? So, you know, to know, has it changed? You know, since we've made these allocations, have the number of students who have transitioned into post-SPM education increased compared to prior years? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's something that we don't have information on right now. But I would say based on this budget, I do feel that I have some level of optimism for how we're going to move forward, you know, now that hopefully COVID is ending. On that note, Kula, thank you so much for joining me today. All right, thank you. That was Kularanam Vijay Kumar, Program Manager at Yayasan Tunku Abdul Rahman. Don't forget to visit www.blanjawan.mof.gov.my slash manfaat to find out more about how to take part in the initiatives and explore many more measures that the government is offering to the people. That is www.blanjawan.mof.gov.my slash manfaat. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.